Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to two GPs involved with a really fascinating, very practical initiative that's aiming to champion and support the distinct skills, knowledge and expertise that are required in general practice. Professor Joanne Reeve and Dr Annabel Matchin are speaking to me about Wise GP, which aims to help GPs and other primary care staff deal with the everyday uncertainty and complexity they face in general practice. They talk to me about how the programme can help GPs at different stages of their career, how the scheme came about and some of the resources they've developed to support GPs. They also talk about how Wise GP could potentially help with GP retention. So I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast now by Professor Joanne Reeve and Dr. Annabel Machin. Joanne is Professor of Primary Care Research at Hull York Medical School and Annabelle is a GP in Staffordshire. Joanne and Annabelle are here to talk about an initiative called Wise GP, which Joanne set up to promote, advance and sustain the distinct knowledge work of primary healthcare. This includes developing resources that enable staff and patients to use what Wise GP calls knowledge work to enhance person-centred healthcare. Annabelle is a Wise GP Fellow. So Joanne, first, can you explain why you wanted to set up something like Wise GP? Well, it was frontline jobbing GPs who asked us to set up Wise GP. So it started in a RCGB conference workshop in 2017. We had about 120 GPs in the room sharing their experiences of their everyday job and recognising that the tools we have for our job are not enough for the complexity of what we're doing every day. Every day we're dealing with some of the most complex problems that come into the NHS at the moment. Um, the person living with multiple long-term conditions who's juggling many different competing healthcare um, options and needs. The person who's living with long-term disabling symptoms but hasn't got a diagnostic label. They've got persistent physical symptoms, but where do they go? How does that get managed? And then there's the growing impact of all the societal changes that are going on at the moment on people's everyday health. And the sort of common thread through that is that there isn't an off-the-shelf answer to those problems. There isn't a, a guideline or a simple management plan that you could just use for that. So many people think that our job in general practice is, is quite easy. All we have to do is know the guidelines and apply them in a coordinated way. But actually, what we were talking about in that room is we spend a lot of our time dealing with problems where there is no guideline, there is no straightforward answer. Instead, we have to work with our patients to critically but creatively make an understanding of what's going on so that we can manage those needs. And that means we need to understand how we as well how that we follow up on that. How do we monitor and evaluate and potentially amend those plans as well? All of that is a very distinct form of expertise. It's the expertise of advanced generalist medicine. It's the ability to be able to go beyond scientific guidelines, principles, to be able to apply them and tailor care to the patient. It's part of our professional practice that we describe as the knowledge work of practice, very highly developed skills that we use to treat patients every day. But... They're not designed into and supported by the places that we work, the training that we have, the way that the health system is monitored. And so that's why from that conversation in that room, we set up Wise GP. What exactly is Wise GP aiming to do? What are your key objectives? I suppose Wise GP is really about helping the profession to take back control 
of frontline patient person-centered healthcare. So it's about championing the distinct skills and expertise. We need to do that so that we can tackle some of those problems I was saying, the, the burden that's facing patients, the burdens that's facing health professionals and that's facing the health system. So we've got three objectives. First of all, we want to promote an understanding of this distinct work, this distinct knowledge work of frontline whole person primary care. We want to champion the expertise of whole person healthcare. Secondly, we want to enable frontline clinicians and patients to be able to develop and use and critique those distinct skills to make that work in modern practice. So we want to foster person-centered care. And thirdly, we want to build a community of practice that supports and sustains that work in everyday practice. So, Annabelle, it's probably a good time to bring you in here. You're in the early part of your career and you're uh, a WISE GP fellow. Firstly, what actually attracted you to WISE GP in this initiative? So I'd completed a PhD in 2019. So I had a background of interest in the academic side of medicine um, that I'd pursued. But I'd done it rather quickly, uh, much quicker than is intended because of funding restraints. So I was pretty exhausted by the time I'd finished that alongside completing my GP training. So I decided at that point to focus on the clinical aspects of my work. And I thought I'd go back to doing more of my hobbies and travel a bit. But then, of course, the the pandemic came and uh, um, it causes you to take time to reflect back on what you're doing. And I realised how much I was missing that academic side of my work. So I kept an eye out for job opportunities. And initially, I got a position uh, working, teaching pharmacists remotely with the Royal College. And then several months later, I saw Wise GP advertised and I thought it sounded like a really interesting opportunity and a different way to get back into academia. What does being a Wise GP fellow involve and how does that sort of fit alongside your other roles, like your role in clinical practice? I'd say I'm a portfolio GP. So my Wise GP work is one day a week at the moment. I was initially working alongside two of the fellows, Emily Liness and Johanna Riley. And that's been alongside Joanne, who leads the project, and Mark, our website developer as well. We helped to develop more resources initially for the Wise GP website. And then we worked together to design the Wisdom course. More recently, I've helped to redesign the website and worked on animations that explain more about what Wise GP is aiming to achieve and what knowledge work is. And most recently, I've also been involved in a project called Lazarus that's using some Wise GP principles to try and help mid-career GPs. You mentioned their knowledge work, and this is something that the website is very keen to promote. What exactly does that mean and how does it apply to an average GP in their day-to-day work? It's the way that we create, use and critique knowledge in practice, in context, in order to be able to solve the complex problems that we do. But let me give you an example to show you what I mean. So there's a a GP in the Netherlands, Professor Chris Van Veel, who gives a fantastic example of the knowledge work of generalist practice, of person-centered practice, and why it's different from specialist practice. And he talks about, with his students, about a typical patient we might see on our consultation day. So the young man who comes in with a three-day history of a sore throat. 
And there's at least three different ways that that conversation, that consultation could go. So one example is you've got a young man with an uncomplicated sore throat, a or criteria score of four, strong possibility that he might have a streptococcal infection, would benefit from having antibiotics. You discuss that with him, what the benefit to him is. He accepts the antibiotics and goes, great. A fairly specialist medicine-focused conversation. It's the knowledge work that everyone's very familiar with. But for a GP, there are at least two other conversations that could go on as well. So... That young man walks in and you notice on the screen that actually he's already had three courses of antibiotics in the last two months for very similar problem. And so when you start exploring the problem some more and understanding it, you realize that the problem that he also reveals that he's having night sweats and been losing weight. And so actually the problem is more complex than just the simple sore throat. So we're exploring and constructing a new explanation of what's going on and therefore going on to a completely different tack than we did with the first person. The third scenario is that the, this person comes in, this 20-year-old with a sore throat, but actually, when we look at that, we realise this person has been into, had six consultations in the last two months with angst and anxiety about different symptoms. And again, that conversation is going to go in a completely different direction as well, because the GP there is not just pulling off the guideline off the shelf and following a set of rules. They're exploring the problem. They're constructing with the patient an explanation of what seems like something very simple that actually is potentially very complicated and then putting a plan in place and then following it up and seeing has that helped and if not amending it. That's what knowledge work is. It's the way that we don't just follow the rules, follow the lines, but critically create understanding in practice. You've got a course called Wisdom, which Annabelle mentioned as well there. That sounds really interesting and actually like it would be really useful for GPs. What does it actually involve? So just to mention, it is free to access if anyone's interested and it's online and it's designed to help primary care clinicians, so not just GPs, the wider team can access it as well, um, in facing the everyday uncertainty and complexity of practice. And it's building on those knowledge work skills, as Joanna's mentioned. So there's four modules within it that are designed to be completed um, on a weekly basis. Um, the first one developed by Joe focuses on what knowledge work is and why it's particularly relevant to GPs. And then the Following two weeks I led, they focus on situations where you might not have enough knowledge to reach a diagnosis or where you may be overwhelmed by too much knowledge and information. So we work through some clinical examples, considering people with persistent unexplained symptoms, also how to avoid overdiagnosis and managing complex polypharmacy too. And we look at the wider sort of psychological and community approaches that we can use to support people. The last week developed by Emily focuses on how we can use and build on our skills as wise GPs to plan our future careers. Are there any other sort of resources or projects that you're working on? I mean, you, Annabelle, you mentioned that Lazarus project that works with mid career GPs. Now, that sounds really interesting because obviously this is a group of GPs who are potentially really at serious risk of burnout and potentially making decisions about whether or not they want to actually remain a GP. Like lots of the statistics shows people at that kind of stage of their career that are potentially at risk of those things. So what's that project? 
the idea behind it is exactly as you say, they're a, a group that are often overlooked and at high risk of burnout. So we're looking at an approach to try and help address that. So the idea behind Lazarus is to take GPs out of their usual care, so from the frontline working, seeing patients, into a different professional space. And there they can discuss any key problems they're facing in practice and try and work together to come up with ideas for change that they can then try and implement. Um, And through this process, we're drawing on their knowledge work skills. Um, So the hope is that following this pilot, that it could be extended to something on a larger scale. I don't know if you want to touch on Wise Hubs here at all, Joanne. So Annabelle's mentioned Wise Hubs. It's a conversation we've been having with some regional colleagues as well about whether we can actually embed the Lazarus model into the structures that are being developed with all the changes going on with ICBs and so on and so forth. As Annabelle's reflected in the blog she's just written on Lazarus, instead of using protected learning time to be a very much about a knowledge giving sessions where we but using them as more critical creative sessions, bringing people together in communities to actually generate the solutions to, to the problems we're facing from the ground. There's a lot of people trying to do similar things in this space. There's been a lot of attempt to do this before. And somebody might be saying, well, what does YSGP offer that's different compared with what people have done before? I think what we're learning from where we're actually implementing this in practice is that what you need is three things. First of all, people need to have a shared sense of what it is we're trying to do. This isn't just about solving the everyday problem. It's not just about the small headache. This is about actually shifting the whole understanding of what our job is and what's the legitimate part of daily work, weekly work, if you like. Secondly, is that we need to enable people to have access to the skills and the resources. There's a lot of skills out there we've found with the research that I've been doing. People have some of the, many of these knowledge work skills. They've been using them, but they've been describing it as, oh, it's just my gut feeling that we should do this. Or some people talk about tacit knowledge. What we want to do is make that visible, make that out in the open, because people don't feel confident about something that's a gut feeling. How am I going to defend that in a court of law? There's scientific structures and processes and language that we can use to make that visible and therefore people feel more confident in using it. And the third thing that we know from from the programmes we've already been doing is that we need to build communities. And yes, people already have communities within their practices or perhaps within their professional groups. We're not trying to disrupt where there are already networks there, but we're recognising that, again, the research tells us those networks, uh, those communities aren't either big enough or strong enough to be sustained in order to deliver the scale of change we want. So we're looking, I suppose, to scale up and grow through those three elements. And there's good evidence from outside of the medical profession, as well as some evidence emerging from within the middle, are the three elements of motivation. So if we want to reverse our retention crisis, then this is part of the step we do it. So all of this is, yes, about helping people feel better on a day-to-day basis, but it's got a much bigger goal about how do we address the bigger workforce challenges we're facing. Annabelle, do you think it's something that could really help GPs early on, particularly as they're starting embarking on what often can be quite a daunting time when you're suddenly practising independently for the first time? 
Absolutely. So I honestly feel that my training didn't prepare me fully for everyday practice. And I'm sure everyone would reflect on that, that it's quite different when you start practicing as a GP compared to when you're a registrar. Um, I had my knowledge of the guidelines to follow, consultation techniques, referral avenues, but I didn't really have the skills and confidence to fully work beyond the guidelines when I needed to and tailor care for individuals. So I particularly found it challenging when I had complex patients to see coming in with multiple symptoms who had uh, several different health issues that were overlapping or people with persistent unexplained symptoms where they'd been seeing multiple people. It was hard to know, where do I go next? Am I going to constructively build on this? So I think the wisdom and the Taylor courses offer key resources to help people in their early career build the skills and confidence needed in those areas to deal with that complexity. And I really think these resources would benefit from becoming an essential part of of GP training just towards the end to prepare doctors for that transition into everyday practice. It can also be hard to know where to look to keep your practice up to date. Our newsletter as well and, and the gems that we have in the library are quick resources that you can look at to keep up to date with what research is coming out and how you can apply that and use it to develop your wise GP skills as well in practice. Joanne, I wouldn't mind picking up on something you just mentioned a bit earlier, because this whole idea about gut feeling, I mean, I find that really fascinating. And is that something that really you only get from when you've been practicing for a while? Or is it something that even younger GPs would have as well? I think that's a really interesting question. And there's this assumption that it's experience. There's a lot of assumptions about general practice, like any career, that it's about experience and getting to know. It's about the relationship. You need to know your patient for many years and so on and so forth. So this gut instinct comes from having worked in the job for 20 years or something. And and then you can somehow do all this magic. The response from YSGP is that Yes, experience matters, absolutely. But what people have been doing is developing a skill set that actually we can describe, critique, evaluate, and make visible, and so teach as well. And so we can introduce all that much earlier on. Just as there's a very strong body of science behind evidence-based medicine and that way of understanding healthcare practice, there is an equally strong and well-established body of science behind some of the things that we describe as gut instinct and oh, it's because I know my patients and all those things. Those all matter, but we need to be better at articulating them so that we can help new to practice GPs and people before do it, so that we can help other health professionals coming into primary care understand what we're doing and where they're role in that is so that we can help patients understand what we're doing so that they can be part of it as well and so that we can help policymakers understand what we're doing so that they change the way they're thinking and doing in redesigning what's going on in healthcare. We've talked a little bit about GPs at the start of their career. How does Wise GP help GPs who are further along in their career? I mean, we talked about the mid-career GPs, but is there any other ways it can help GPs in their careers, do you think? For me, WISE GP has been 
built into the way I've been a general practitioner from the beginning, because I've had what some people describe as a portfolio career or, or lots of other different words for it. I mean, I would say I'm a consultant in general practice, to use the college's new, new definition. As a consultant, I lead a team of people. I lead a body of practice and a body of work. And some of that involves working one-on-one -on -one with patients. Some of it involves thinking about how we're running a practice. Some of it things that is about how we think about understanding what we do and so forth. So there's many different elements to my job. I lead the Catalyst program, which is a, using the principles of YSGP to help new to practice GPs develop their skills and confidence. And one of the things we did there was have a look at what our, our working week looks like, if you like. So we just drew, everybody drew a map of, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and what they were doing morning and evening. What my working week looks like is very different from what those new to practice GPs working week looks like, which was more defined by how many patients they were seeing and how much paperwork they were doing. But actually, right at the start, my working week had that designed in. My first GP job, I did 50% clinical, 50% working on workforce development and, and education. That's part of being a GP. That's because I use the skills, the same skills we've been talking about in clinical practice. I use the skills of exploring, explaining and evaluating in lots of other contexts too as well. And that's what we, again, we want what wise GP to help people to understand how they can develop that wider career element, not just change how they're working with their patients and perhaps in their practice teams, but thinking about how does that look over a career lifetime, but also in a working week? just thinking about how we make this work. And I realise we've still got the challenges of understaffed teams and so on. And certainly the, the work we're doing in Catalyst, the Catalyst programme for new to practice GPs, which has an evaluation embedded in it, is suggesting that we're, we're starting to see some suggestion that actually broadening that idea of that understanding of what my job is um, is important in helping to change motivation, morale, retention and so forth. So we think the solution to the problem is to get more GPs doing more consultations. Wise GP is suggesting that maybe the solution lies in getting more GPs to do more different types of activity in order to help their own professional practice to make care better for their patients but also to help the profession and the service to start achieving the culture shift that so many policymakers are looking for. Do you have any evidence I guess or anecdotal or whatever that it, it does help with tackling some of these issues like burnout and stress? It's such a challenging job at the minute. Do you think this can really help GPs deal with the pressures that they're having to face day to day? I would say, yes, there is some beginning evidence in things like the Catalyst Programme, which has got an evaluation in it and so on, which is it is helping us rethink how we do the whole fellowship and support programme in the region. But the evidence probably comes from outside of healthcare as well. So go back to the Harvard Business School model and, and the, the work that's been done there over decades about how do you address motivation problems in, in your workforce. And there is consistent evidence there those three things you need to address to motivate a workforce meaning mastery and membership the job needs to make sense to people and be of value to them they need to have the skills be supported to use those skills and they need to have a sense of community from that 
Harvard again have done have done the work that looks at, at whether money is a fourth M, if you like. Some people in a small setting, then money may be may be a motivating factor. The the evidence from outside of our profession tells us that we need to tackle those other three elements. The beginning of a sort of signal from some of the work that we're doing in YSGP and and that you can see in other contexts as well that suggests tackling those is addressing things like the retention issues. That's not to say any of that matters unless we don't deal with the overburden on patients and healthcare staff and so on and so forth. So, yes, YSGP on its own is not going to tackle these massive big issues but it's part of that catalyst to uh, a bottom a bottom up frontline change i suppose i agree it's more of a snowball effect starting to institute that change and we're trying to gather a following to help with that um but certainly my personal reflections would be that i think a lot of burnout comes from difficulty handling and negotiating the risk and uncertainty we face every day. So I think that wisdom and a lot of the wise GP resources really help you develop the skills and confidence with that. So you can go home and not feel as exhausted from all the decision making or worry at night about what decisions you've made and whether you've done the right thing. So I think that's something that's particularly relevant to people in their early careers where they're still building that confidence there. Um, but particularly things like Lazarus from the small groups we've worked with, when we introduced the ideas behind that, the GPs who were present said if something like that was given some support or funding, they think it would really work well to re-energize and retain the workforce so it could help beyond mid-career to those late-career GPs as well. Um, so I really hope something like that will gain momentum with these wise hubs and kickstart that real change that's needed to tackle on the burnout in the profession. Yeah. And Annabelle, you've been doing a lot of work you said around communicating with people who are, are interested in YSGP and, and what sort of information do you provide from, from YSGP to people? So the GEM library um, is aiming to translate research into practical ideas that people can apply in practice And um, I think often people are put off from reading large research articles. And when you're really busy, you simply don't have the time. So what we've got is simple headlines from the research, um, links to the actual article if people want to read more, but some practical advice on how you can implement the the research in practice. Um, Because a a big issue with research is that it is published and then sits there and no one really applies it for a decade. So it's trying to address that gap there as well. So at the moment, we're releasing a gem a week where I'll identify something that's particularly relevant to GPs that's recently been published. And that's something that we share on Twitter. Um, We have a Facebook page as well that we're hoping to develop more of a following with. Um, And then the newsletter, it goes out every month and Alternate months, it's highlighting resources on the website that might help people. Um, And then the other month, it's focusing on a challenge that's um, facing GPs in practice and how research and a wise GP approach in particular can help address that challenge. They have lots of um, useful practical tips to try and apply in practice. Um, Our blogs regularly sharing um, ideas of how people can build on their knowledge work as well. That's great. Thank you both so much. Thank you. 
Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to Joanne and Annabelle for taking the time to talk with me. You can find more information on many of the resources that they mentioned during this conversation in the description for this episode. I'm back next week when our fortnightly news review gets back underway after a brief summer break, so please do join me then. In the meantime, you can keep up with all the news affecting general practice and access a wealth of other resources on our website at gponline.com.